My older brother, Anthony, um, who's six years older than I am, he started acting first and he was um, eight years old and so he was still at primary school. He was constantly performing all the time, um, always acting up and pretending to be other people and doing different characters. He used to borrow my dad's camcorder and film himself um, doing various different comedy routines and uh, his head teacher um, got my parents to come into the school one day and say uh, you need to take him somewhere for, for drama. He's, um, he's a, a performer and you need to um, take him to a school or, or a, a drama group or something. Um, my parents kind of hoped it would be a fizz and that he'd pass out of it, but he, he never did. And so when they took him to this drama group, he um, ended up getting quite a lot of work. And I was about two years old at the time, so my mum had to chaperone him, had to, had to look after him on, on film and TV sets. Um, and me being two years old, I had to go along with him. So I grew up with it. Um, I think as my mum sort of said, as the story goes, I just assumed that's what everyone did. And so I just asked if I could do it and I copied my brother on everything from, you know, clothing to music and all that kind of stuff. So naturally I also wanted to follow him into, into acting. Um, I, I nagged his agent so much that eventually she sent me for an audition, which I fortuitously got. And, um, and just carried on, carried on working from there um, at this drama group in Horsforth called Scala. Um, and that was from through Scala that I got the audition and the role in, in Harry Potter when I was 11. I went along to, it was a big open audition that they had nationwide. Um, I think about 40,000 kids were seen across the country over the, over the week of auditions. Um, and one of the auditions was being held in Leeds at the Queen's Hotel. Um, being from Horsforth, uh, myself, I uh, went to that one. And there was a lot of people there. I queued for, I think, four and a half to five hours, um, something like that. Um, and I went into the room and I read a paragraph from the book. We were all given the same paragraph to read. Um, and I was probably in there for about 15, 20 seconds, um, really short amount of time um, after five hours of waiting. And then I didn't hear anything for two months, which the stuff that I'd worked on previously, I'd been, I'd been acting for six years by this point. Um, and everything that I'd gone up for, I'd either found out that I'd got the part on the day or within two or three days after that. Um, and we heard nothing. And we didn't hear anything for two months. So I very much felt that that, that ship had sailed and that it wasn't meant to be. And I remember my mum had said to me, well, you know, if, they, if it's successful and they do a second one, we can, we can go up and audition again for that. Um, and even at that age, I was sort of starting to d develop the, the thick skin that would be required um, to deal with, with no, with rejection. Um, but out of the blue, entirely, after two months, we got a phone call saying, would I be interested in having a recall uh, and meeting Chris Columbus, the director, um, for the role of Neville Longbottom? And that took place at Leeson Studios down in Watford, glamorous Watford, um, where they shot all of the films, all, all eight of the films. Um, and as I say, um, to meet with, with Chris. Um, Chris Columbus, for those of you who don't know, um, he wrote the film Mrs Doubtfire when he was still in college. And he directed Home Alone. 
um, and various other classics. Um, and so to go down to Watford and uh, meet Chris Columbus was, um, was really exciting. And they'd already built a lot of the sets. So I was able to go on to the Gryffindor common room set and I got to see the Great Hall. And, and at that point, I was kind of like, if I don't get this job, this is going to break me <laughs> because this is, looks so exciting, so much fun. And it's just how I imagined it from the book. Um, luckily, um, a few days later, um, I was told that, that the role was mine if I, if I wanted it. Um, and the rest is history, I suppose. But um, yeah, I mean, I was ecstatic uh, over the moon. I was such a huge fan of the books. I was reading them in primary school. I actually bought the third one when a, when a mobile book club came to my school um, in Horsforth. I bought the book then. Um, and um, so to, to then realise that I was going to be doing the job that I loved, even at that age, but as a representation of my favourite book was just mind-blowing. What was it like meeting Harry Potter? <laughs> um, well, the first day that I met Harry Potter was um, we had a little read-through um, where before you do a, a job, whether it's in the theatre or TV or film, you all get together in a big room, very much like this, and you all sit and read through the script. Um, and the reason they do it is... Um, well, timing is one thing. They want to time time how long it's going to be. Uh, it's also so they can hear um, the characters in the actors' voices for the first time. Um, and nowadays, um, it's becoming more frequent that you get a lot of execs, executive um, people from the um, studios come in and they, uh, and they sit making lots of notes and decide whether the film's any good or not and whether you're any good or not, which is quite terrifying. So that tends to happen in a read-through. Um, Luckily, a lot of the fear that is normally attributed to that um, was taken away because there were so many of us who were of the same age. So there was myself, Dan, Rupert, Emma, um, Alfie, and James and Oliver, and we were all there on the, in the read-through in the same boat, really, getting, getting to know each other for the first time. Um, but as soon as I met Dan, I was just like, this is spooky. I mean, you are perfect for Harry Potter. You're just what I imagined when I read the book. Um, and then to get to know him as Dan, um, who's now you know, a real good friend of, of many, many years. Um, it's been a really wonderful, wonderful journey that I've been able to take with him. There's a theory going around the internet that um, Neville Longbottom is actually the chosen one rather than Harry. And I just want to know your thoughts and opinions on that theory and see whether it's true or not. <laughs> wow. Um, Wow, um, that is an interesting theory. Um, you really tested my knowledge now. It's been a few years, you know. Um, I know that um, obviously Joe J.K. Rowling has has mentioned the, about the prophecy and about how uh, Neville and Harry it could have been either of them, um, but Voldemort he um, made Harry the chosen one by trying to kill him. So I think that is poetic justice, if you will, that it is Harry um, that is the chosen one. So I still think that he is, but that doesn't detract from the fact that Neville could have been. If Voldemort had chosen to go after Neville that night instead of Harry, Neville had all the attributes and all the character and all the courage and heart within him that he could have been Harry. He could have been the chosen one had it gone that way. And that's why Neville was, was able to, in the final film, step up 
and, and, and defeat Nagini and, and he had the courage to lead the resistance. It was within him the whole time. Um, and you know, various aspects of his childhood, the, what happened to his parents and the fact that he lived with his rather overbearing gran and that he was uh, quite a shy and bumbling and vulnerable individual. Um, all that sort of played into to hide all that and mask all that. But it was still there within him the whole time. And once the opportunity arose, he broke out of his shell. And, um, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite a cliched quote, really. But um, John Wayne is always quoted as saying that, that courage is not being fearless. It's being terrified, but saddling up anyway. And that's what I thought was so great about Neville. He was never fearless. He was always terrified, and yet he still did the right thing every time, every step of the way. And that's what courage is. So I don't think he was the chosen one. But yes, he could have been. How did it feel to end up being the chosen one to kill the snake? I remember reading the final Harry Potter book and, and J.K. Rowling had already told me that there was going to be a really great moment for Neville in the end of the book. I never anticipated it would be on the, on the scale of, of what it was in the end. But I remember reading it and just thinking it was so perfect um, that someone like Neville could have such, a, such an arc to his story, that he could blossom in such a way and ultimately pave the way for Harry to, to defeat Voldemort. I mean, you could, have, you could say that, that um, it was Neville that ultimately defeated Voldemort, because without him doing that, um, it would never have happened. And I knew reading it what it meant to me for the character of Neville, so I wanted to make sure that I did it as best as I could to, to make sure the people at home who was so fond of Neville. Neville has so many fans around the world, and rightly so, he's such a wonderful character. What was your favourite Harry Potter film that you acted in? My favourite um, film, I think, was... To, was a film, to film um, was the final uh, Death of Hallows Part Two. I just had so much to do um, in, in the film. Uh, I got to play an older, wiser, more courageous Neville um, that had really found his calling and all the years that we'd put in for his journey, we finally got to see the culmination of that and, and that Neville stepped up to be this real leader. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And I got to do a lot of stunts. I got to run around on a bridge and fire spells and swing swords, be swashbuckling for, for a couple of hours. So that was, that was a lot of fun. But I think to watch, personally, I think the Prisoner of Azkaban was my favorite to actually watch. The, the, the film as a whole. I thought that was just a, a brilliant, brilliant film. Is Voldemort editing or makeup? Ah, it's a uh, clever combination of, of both, actually. Um, uh, Ray finds his nose was edited out um, afterwards in the special effects. But he had all the white makeup on and he had a bald cap to make him look bald. He's actually got luscious blonde locks in real life. Um, and so that was all um, put under a, a bald cap. Um, and he had uh, contact lenses for his eyes. Um, all the hands, the claws, they were all uh, prosthetics, makeup that were, that were put onto him every single day. Um, so a, a large proportion of it was makeup. And it was a very intimidating and frightening uh, image to see every day at work, which was, was immense help for us. Um, but the, uh, there was a few little bits and bobs that were, that were editing. Um, he had to have lots of, when they do the editing on people's faces, 
they have to use um, technology so that the, the, the computer can map the face and put it into the computer to then work on it. And so he had to have sort of blue and green dots stuck all over his face for the duration of the shoot, um, which made him slightly less scary. Um, but, uh, but it was very, very effective. In one of the many Harry Potter movies, Neville Longbottom is picked up and held by the ears by Pixies. How was that created? That's an interesting one because, <laughs> okay, I'll tell you the full story. So, um, as you remember, the, the, the ears actually stretched. Um, they weren't my, my real ears. Um, but again, w one of the things that we tried to do with Harry Potter was, um, maybe it was a bit of a sort of nod back to the older, you know, Star Wars films and Indiana Jones, is that we tried to do a lot of the special effects through uh, makeup and prosthetics and actual real life um, creatures. Um, and we had a department called Creature Effects that built all this stuff and created all these stuff. You know, we had a giant animatronic uh, book beak in, in the third film. Um, we had um, Forks, the Phoenix, was, was actually created in Creature Effects and someone individually had to put each feather into, into, the, into the model. So we tried to make sure we had as much of these real life things as possible. Um, and my ears were no different. So we did a mold of my ears in Creature Effects and they created some latex ears. And each one would be, um, would be attached to a, what is effectively a fishing rod either side, which two, two men from Creature Effects would, as I was being pulled up, they would pull on the ears to look like they were being stretched. Um, so I had two men either side with fishing rods. And then I had a harness which was strapped to a cable which went up through the ceiling. Um, and there was a big stunt team outside who were pulling the cable and pulling me up via the harness. Once I was up there, they'd cut. Someone would get on a ladder and they'd attach my cloak to the chandelier. And then they'd get back down the ladder and we'd carry on filming. And it'd look as if, once it had been edited with the, the pixies put in, that they'd lifted me up and hooked me on the... Um, on the chandelier. If you could play any other character in Harry Potter apart from Neville, who would it be? I've been asked this question so many times and I, I, I'm never satisfied with my answer. I think in recent years I've been quite fortunate that I've played um, some very different roles from Neville um, and some darker roles, some more villainous uh, roles and that is that's a lot of fun because it's it's out of my comfort zone, really, to get into the mindset of, of, um, of a baddie, really. Um, and, and you get to do things that in real life you would never dream of doing or saying. Or, um, it sort of gives you freedom to play around with it. Um, and I always remember being on the set and seeing Tom Felton, who played Draco, and Jason Isaacs as Lucius, and Rafe as, as Voldemort, who they just seem to be having so much fun doing things that they would never normally do and just playing around and, and so I think I'd probably want to be a baddie. Um, I'm probably a bit old for, for Draco Malfoy now. Maybe his dad, maybe Lucius Malfoy, that'd be quite fun. He was, uh, Jason Isaacs was so brilliant in that role. Again, it's just a, an actor having far too much fun on screen, it was brilliant. I'd love to have a go at something like that. What was it like pretending to be injured? I, I seem to be happening to play injured quite a lot when I do TV and, and films. I'm often getting injured, my, my characters are often getting injured. Um, I've never broken a bone in my body, touch wood, um, so I, uh, I don't know what that's like. 
Um, but it's it's part and parcel of the of the profession, really. That so much of what I do, I've no experience of. I just did a I did two series of a show a couple of years ago, where I played a bomb disposal technician in Afghanistan. Um, I've never been to Afghanistan. I've never been in the army, and I've certainly never defused a bomb. It's all in the research, really, is to try and um, study as much as possible, um, you know, whatever injury it is that you're supposed to be recreating. Speak to people who've, who've had it. Um, YouTube is an incredible tool for research. Um, your interviews uh, that you can search for um, with, with people. And, and um, it's one of those things where, you know, no actor can really ever experience everything they're portraying on screen. So all you have to do is absorb as much information as possible uh, in an attempt to to create a believable version of it. I was just wondering, was it a stunt double that was on the broom, or was it you? Um, actually, uh, there was, again, it was a split between some of it was, was uh, CGI, as I'm sure you were aware that computer-generated um, stuff weren't quite as state-of-the-art as they are now, so it's quite obvious when it was computer. But the rest of it, when it's not, it was, it was me, yeah. They, um, they strapped me onto a broomstick and, and flew me around the place. And they achieved it in various different ways. Um, some of it was done in the studio with an entire blue or green screen. And then they'd superimpose the castle um, behind me in, in the edit afterwards. Um, and some of it was done in situ at Anik Castle. Uh, and the way they did that was, it sounds mad now, I don't think they'd, they'd do this in a film nowadays, but they got a truck and they put a crane on the back of a truck and then they stuck a broomstick on the end of the crane and they just strapped me to it and then this truck would drive around with me you know 20 feet in the air strapped to a broomstick um, and that's how they got a lot of the, the shots from below um, so a lot of it was me one of the things we tried to do again going back to what i mentioned about the the, the homage back to um, older films is that we were all so keen to do as many of our stunts as possible, even as kids, and I still am now. And We worked really, really closely with the stunt team, um, Dan and myself and a few of the other guys. We trained with the stunt team quite a bit. We did a bit of kickboxing and we did a lot of strength training and just trying to make sure that whenever a stunt came up, they felt confident in our ability to, to be able to do it. And I've always felt, you know, 100% wanting to throw myself into, into the job, so any time an opportunity arose, I was very keen. Um, I mean, even to the point of when, when I have to get slapped or punched, I'm always like, just do it, just slap me. And the stunt guy's like, we can't do that. It's not possible. Insurance won't let us do that. But I just want to go for it, you know. Um, so I do try and do as, many, as much as possible um, in, the, in the, the show or the film. Um, sometimes it is too dangerous, and I'm just not qualified to do some of it. And they do used to use stuntmen. Um, but no, the broomstick one was, was mostly me. What's the longest film to shoot? The longest film that I've worked on was The Last Harry Potter, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2, because we actually filmed them simultaneously. It's quite common, like Lord of the Rings, they filmed their films back to back. So when, as soon as they finished Fellowship of the Ring, they went straight into the Two Towers and they were out in New Zealand for three years or whatever. We filmed it simultaneously, so we filmed one and two as if they were one movie, um, which was very difficult to try and keep up. One minute we're in part two, and the next day we come back to do part one, and we're all over the place, and it's very, very confusing. Um, and because of that 
it ended up taking, I think, principal photography was, it was about two years, it was really long, it's a really long time. Um, and that was kind of the reason for that was, the film itself would have taken a long time anyway, special effects, a lot of stuff to be done, um, a lot of characters to, to get in, and we, we always film a lot more than actually ends up in, in the film, so much of it is on the cutting room floor um, and cut out of the final picture. But then also a lot of the, the actors on the, on the cast were still under 16. Uh, none of us were, we were all in our 20s by, by that time, but some of the um, younger students in Dumbledore's army, for example, or other students around the, around the school were all under 16. And now the law may have changed in, in the last sort of five, six years, but when I was working on that, under 16s could only work on set for four hours a day. Um, whereas I'm sort of used to doing 12 hour days. It meant that we could, you know, for every three days of filming we could normally get, we'd only get one day's filming on this, which, which just meant that the, the filming process took a long, long time. Obviously you're from Leeds, you're, you're local. Uh, a lot of young people that we talk to, they, they assume that if you want to go into the film industry, whether you want to be an actor or work behind the scenes, you've got to be, you've got to be really special, you've got to be completely different. What kind of advice would you give to anybody today who's sort of thinking, I'd be interested in the industry, but I have no, uh, no idea at all where to start? The thing is about the industry is that what's, what's very easy for people to wrongly assume is that it's, it's the actors. You, know, you see the red carpets, you see the premieres, and you see the award ceremonies, and you think, oh, you know, I'll, never, I'll never be that. I'll never be a successful Hollywood actor like that. But actually, the, the film industry is so much more obtainable than you've ever thought before. There are so many roles within our industry, behind the camera, as well as in front of, um, that are so crucial. If you look at the credits from Harry Potter, I mean, they last 10, 15 minutes. We have thousands of people who work on those films. Um, the simplest TV show that is made has hundreds of people working on it behind, behind the camera. Um, and if you imagine any film as a really well-oiled machine. Every single member of, of that crew is a cog in that machine. And if you take one of them out, the whole thing falls apart. We need everyone. And, and many of them are far more important than, than I'll ever be on a production. Um, you know, we have, we have caterers, we have drivers, we have hair and makeup, we have costume, we have location managers who have to find locations and, and trailers for everyone to, to be in. We've got um, production who actually plan the whole thing. We've got directors, you've got editors, sound guys. Um, there's, there are so many people that is involved. There is far too many for me, for me to name. And in this country, we have one of the greatest film industries in the entire world. Hollywood make so many of their big budget pictures in this country. The Avengers was made in this country. Captain America was made here. You know, they filmed bits of Batman, Pirates of the Caribbean, at, in Watford that I mentioned earlier. Um, we've got um, James Bond films here. There's, there's so many big budget, Warner Brothers, MGM, Universal, they all film big budget pictures in this country. And we need people like you to fill jobs within that industry. Um, people come here because our crews are some of the best in the world. Um, they come here because they know that we have people like yourselves who aspire to be in the industry and do the very best job they can in the entire world. Um, so don't feel like you can't be a part of it. We need you guys in the industry. Um, and um, 
So if you're thinking of it and you're wanting to do it, then please, please do. Um, there's much more to it than being, than being an actor. <laughs> <laughs>